Hey there, this is April with Myonomics, and we are breaking down the strategies on how to sell on Amazon. On our team, we have seven-figure Amazon sellers with years of experience selling, advertising, and even exiting. On Myonomics, we cover all the angles to help you sell and scale on Amazon. So let's get into it. Good morning, good afternoon, depending on you, where you are, good evening even. I know we often have a global audience. I'll give everyone a moment to join and trickle in. But in the meantime, I think I'll just get started on um, introducing our panelists, um, myself as well. So thank you, Aton and Rachel, for joining us today. First webinar of the year, 2023, time certainly flies. I still remember 2020 being quarantine and it's just amazing that we can, you know, be out and about in the world, still blows my mind. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our panelists and you guys can feel free to add in any other details you'd like. Um, Aton is a CEO of Gatita, which is a cloud-based tech that provides state-of-the-art reimbursement recovery solutions for Amazon sellers. And before Gatita, he had ventures that were successfully sold to publicly traded companies, um, such as Quantum to Advantage Solutions in 2020, which is an online retail agency for global brands. And he is also the co-founder of Prosper Show. And this is an amazing show for Amazon sellers. Um, if you're not attending, you definitely should. I know I'm, a, um, I, my, our, well, mine as a company, we're attending. Aton, of course, you're attending. Rachel, I know you said you're attending as well. And speaking of Rachel, she is a global Amazon marketplace strategist and has spent nearly a decade working at Amazon in product development. So definitely has a lot of deep insights in, at Amazon. And since working at Amazon, she's founded companies that reached multi-six, multi-seven figure growth in under three years. And in 2015, Rachel founded an Amazon full service agency, which was acquired by Evanset. Avenue 7 Media in 2022. So 2022 was definitely a big year for you, Rachel. Very exciting. And Rachel's been featured on the Today Show, CNBC, Business Insider, Wall Street, Bloomberg. And currently, she is now the founder of Azama, um, which is a conversion rate optimization agency. Um, so now that I've kind of explained who you two are, it's a little bit of a hard act to follow to introduce myself, but I'm Julia. I work for Mayan, which is a PPC optimization tool for Amazon sellers. We specialize specifically in Amazon. It's a machine learning driven platform created by MIT data scientists. Many of our account managers are Amazon sellers themselves. And myself, I'm a product marketing manager at Mayan. I'm based in Seattle, but I split my time between living in Seattle as well as the south of Brazil. So thank you all to our um, audience members for joining us today. This is going to be an interactive presentation. So if you do have questions, feel free to put it in the chat. You should be able to see a little chat box there. And um, we'll be hopefully taking your questions as they come in and then take your questions at the very end as well. So Aton, Rachel, anything you'd like to add? I think you covered it all, Julia. Excellent. So with that, we will march forward into 2023, new year, new us. So setting up your FBA business, it's we know it's uh, key for success, but every year it's such a great opportunity to set yourself up for that long-term growth. 
And we're going to discuss a lot today. We have a lot of great tips. Thank you, Eitan, Rachel, Katita, Azama for contributing these. I'm not going to read these all, but because we're going to go over them anyway, but a couple to highlight, for example, like looking at product performance, like how do you actually look at and reflect on how your products performed to set yourself up for the future? And Katita is going to give us some insights on changes to FBA fees and policies, what to expect for 2023. And Azama is going to be talking about how to set yourself up for the new year to uh, create customer-generated content, optimizing your um, optimizing your content to really tackle 2023. So just to name a few. So some key factors to look at when you're guiding your new year planning and taking a step back, looking at the big picture, really thinking about what products performed well in 2022 and even being honest with yourselves, what products did not perform so well in 2022? What were lessons? Um, did you have any issues with product sourcing? Product sourcing, a big topic, and we know that, unfortunately, COVID is still with us. Um, how did Amazon customers respond to any seasonal changes or updates to your Amazon store? And how can you refresh your inventory in the new year? Just a couple of big questions to ask yourself as you're reflecting. So first tip that mine is going to offer is really looking at your product performance. Easier said than done. Um, why it's important. So first of all, you're looking at your seasonality, your trends, your branding, as well as your profitability. So when it looks at when you're looking at your seasonality, you're looking at checking your unit sales for each quarter of the business year. Um, you also want to see were there certain products that were more appropriate for a certain season or holiday in the calendar year. Baby shower decorations probably not going to be as popular in November, December, but. We know that maybe people are making announcements of new babies during the holidays, so maybe the spring. I don't know, depending on that. Um, trends, you're looking at um, understanding what works for your Amazon branding. Did it follow any trends? So for example, if you made any updates to your Amazon store front, um, your photography, your listing, did that have a positive effect? Did that have a negative effect in the past year? What did Amazon customers respond to? as well as your branding. Um, were there certain colors and SK, uh, SKUs variations that were more popular? Um, this can inform your inventory decisions for 2023. We actually had a customer, for example, that discovered using Minds Analytics and dashboards that 90% of their sales were driven by the black variation of the product. This is an amazing discovery because it really helped inform their inventory decisions for the entire year. Um, and finally, most importantly, profitability of each product with Amazon. End of year is a great time to do this, um, looking at what was successful. And has your advertising been working for you or has it been working against you? Um, so, yeah, Rachel, Aton, and have you guys, um, when you're looking at your own businesses, have you guys, um, I guess, when it comes to, were any of these topics that kind of speak to you, anything in particular that you find more important and relevant? I don't know if we should both speak at once, like a little, little flag. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I think the profitability <laughs> one is is super interesting. So there's there's been so many cost pressures in 2021 and 2022, and pretty much all of my clients have had to raise prices in some areas to offset those costs. So then that will often decrease the value you get from your ads. So it's kind of this you know, okay, well, we really need to raise prices because we're not profitable, but then we may actually decrease our sales. So it's it's a tough kind of catch-22 for sellers. 
Definitely. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, I'm going to talk about it more in my portion, but just profitability and costs and fees and all this stuff that's very confusing and ever growing. Um, understanding that, you know, it's cool to sell a lot, but are you actually making money? What, what's the point? Um, I think, yeah, branding also, I'm sure Jay, uh, Rachel's going to talk about uh, seasonality. Also a factor as far as like forecasting and supply chain issues you mentioned. So I'll touch upon both, I guess, all these in my own way, but obviously very relevant trend, very relevant uh, points. Yeah. And when I was looking at your slide about the FBA fees, it, it was quite complicated. It was like, this is the change, except for these products, except for this year. And yeah, this is yeah. implemented this time. So I'm glad that and you guys are laying it out for us. the short version is like a longer version. So I'll try to make it clear when I say it, but. If you look at their charts, it's very, it's almost like impossible to read maybe on purpose. Like you don't even know what's going on, which is why you need a PhD. Yeah. To keep track. (laughs) Goodness. So moving forward um, and uh, audience members, you do have access to this ebook. So um, take advantage, but you know, from our ebook, we talk about looking at how your inventory moved throughout the entire year will help you make those crucial inventory purchasing decisions as you prepare yourself for the 365 days in business, which is going to be a stellar year. It's going to be an awesome year. Don't let the scary news about the economic situation and COVID scare you off. Um, Just tackle it, you know, let your competitors be scared about it. So our second tip is ditch the products that didn't take off. There's a saying, you know, kill your darlings. Um, Aton, Rachel, I don't know if you've heard that saying before, kill your darlings, but it's kind of hard when you invest a lot of time and effort into this hope, this dream of, you know, launching a new product line. And gosh, it's hard to accept when something just doesn't really work out. Um, so things to look for, like items that just move too slowly, they're just sitting there. Um, you know, Aton's going to talk about fees as well, but like, is it really worth it to be holding on to that inventory? Um, and speaking of inventory, products that take up too much FBA inventory space, just too costly, and products that have a low net margin. And here's the key concept here. If the numbers don't result in profit profit after all of the costs, it's time to discontinue those products. Kill those darlings. And here we have our Mayan profitability dashboard. This is a tool used by our account managers at Mayan. And so on Amazon Seller Central, it's actually really hard to collate all this data. You actually have to really hunt for it. And this is a data that's pulled, this is your data that's pulled in from the API. It includes um, costs of goods sold. Um, this data is actually from um, an Amazon seller who works at our company, um, his brand. And so in the past 30 days, you can see that his product made $15,000 um, in gross sales. And so um, again, we a lot of our tools are designed for Amazon sellers by Amazon sellers. Um, we know what's useful, what is not gonna be so useful. Um, and in this case, um, you can do, it does a calculation for your product costs and speaking of fees, there's commission fees here as well. And what's really unique is that this is one of the places where you can see ad sales data with your gross sales data. It's actually really hard to find that in one table in Amazon. You're going to have to download spreadsheets, collate them manually. And, um, what you're really looking at is your gross profit number. And this is something that you want to be tracking month over month, week over week. You want to be improving this number. And so this is one thing that our account managers do really closely with their customers at Mayan is going over these metrics and, you know, saying, Hey, is your advertising working for you or is it working against you? 
Do we need to be pulling away some advertising in some cases? Do we need to eventually recommend letting go of product? So this is just one example of that. So again, to begin reviewing your sales in 2022, looking over products over the past year and their performance, and then also looking at which products have had a consistently negative margin, um, which includes your fees, of course, and making decisions to order or to not order. And then finally letting the reigning stock sell out and then close the listing. So reset, re, the three R's, reassess, remove, reboot. Rinse, repeat. And our final tip is schedule your orders early. So let's talk about macroeconomic repercussions, holidays. Um, I was just reading the news this morning, crazy things going on in the world, riots in Brazil right now. So um, hopefully everything's settled. So we know that you wanna schedule your orders early, but ideally you wanna get your inventory before the holiday times. Um, so you wanna get your inventory in stock before those important holidays. And in particular, if you're sourcing your products from China, you wanna be aware of the Chinese New Year. Apparently it's the year of the rabbit, Chinese New Year um, is January 22nd. Um, and another thing to think about is China is now opening itself up a bit more. Um, there's going to be New Year celebrations. Um, actually, before this, I have a master's in public health, um, so I'm always kind of interested in how COVID affects our supply chain. And with those celebrations, we're going to probably expect a viral surge, which might, I'm being such a Debbie Downer here, but this is what happens when you talk to an epidemiologist, <laughs> kind of a negative outlook. But what I want to say is you want to be prepared. You want to be prepared for possible closures. And even COVID aside, with Chinese New Year holiday, factories close up shop for about a month. Um, Rachel and Aton, have you? Uh, maybe I'll start with Aton. Have you had experience with working with sellers around uh, the Chinese New Year and other holidays? Yeah, I mean, I actually used to be a seller, as you mentioned, and the Chinese New Year is something that I don't think people in the U.S. that are new to like importing understand. So you have the you know the Jewish New Year and the, the Indian New Year and all these holidays. The Chinese New Year is like a six week. I don't know, or two month holiday, they basically shut down the factories. Um, like nothing's going on. So this significantly affects, you know, seasonality supply chain, like you mentioned. So if you want to order certain products, like you got to get them in now. So believe it or not, large strategic sellers and the Amazons of the world are ordering stuff now for Q4. Because if you don't order it now, then you miss the boat for two months, literally and figuratively. And then you start to order in April, May, whatever, when they when they reopen and you're already behind the April. So it takes a lot to be able to forecast in January for December, but that's kind of where you need to get to be competitive. The new year is like a total shutdown. It doesn't apply to some of the other countries if you source from, but for China specifically, there's just nothing going on. It's not like you can make an exception and be like, oh, like, you know, run, run, a, run a production for me. But a lot of the workers live in the West. And they go to the east where the factories are. And then they just go home for the new year. So there's nothing doing. Um, you need to understand that as you grow. You know, if, you, if you're doing a small amount of orders or maybe less than truck, whatever it may be, it may not make such a big difference. But as you grow, you become more dependent on the on the timing. So this is where the new year comes in. I think it's coming up in, in a few weeks. Yeah, thank it's you actually, for that. It's actually like next week or something. It's It's really early this year. It's unusually early this year. Um, I think the other one that people don't think about or the time they don't think about is actually Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day that happen in September and October. 
basically if your stuff doesn't ship out before October 1st, it's not going to make it in time. Um, like you might barely make it in time for Black Friday if it ships out before October 1st, but that's that's it. So you really have to know your timelines where you're at. And it's not just um, Chinese New Year. It's called Lunar New Year in other parts of Asia. So we used to source in Vietnam a lot for Amazon products. And so we were we were just as worried about getting all of our stuff out of Vietnam before Lunar New Year. <laughs> they had they had a very similar approach. It just what it just didn't last as long. But you know you weren't going to get it out for for a few weeks. So it's just something where you know here I feel like we're so used to everyone just working, 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 and like Christmas is like a day off. And then you go to other parts of the world and people are like, why don't why aren't you taking a week off for this? <laughs> you know, it's very different for us to get used to. Yeah, and I feel like Europe takes an entire month off in August, which I'm very envious of. Yes. So. Definitely. Yeah. When you're an Amazon seller, even if you're selling only to U.S. audiences, you got to have a global understanding when it comes to holidays and cultures as well. So moving quickly to wrap up our section before we move on to Aton with Gatita to talk more about those fees and those changes that are coming up. Um, just wanted to let um, our audience members know that we offer a free advertising audit from Mayan. Um, this is a really valuable opportunity to understand what's going on when it comes to your advertising. Um, we can potentially save you thousands of dollars by uncovering inefficiencies in your advertising. Um, as you guys, as Rachel and Aton, you both know, just throwing your money at advertising isn't going to necessarily make the sale. You got to be able to be very strategic about your advertising. So either visit try.mayan.co free advertising audit or please feel free to scan that QR code and we'd be happy to talk with you and um, talk about how you can set yourself up for success in 2023. And a little bit more about um, how we work. We have our smart ads platform, which is our self-serve um, technology for the budget conscious seller who's looking to grow. And um, we also have our managed advertising and smart ads platform. So that is where you have a dedicated account manager, like I said, many of who are Amazon sellers themselves. Um, and for those who don't have the time or are really looking to really expand their business, this is something that is highly recommended as well. So with that, let's um, pass it off to you, Aton, and then just let me know when to move the slides and I will. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, I'm gonna be... Uh, the beginning of the year, everyone's got a lot of work to do, so I'm just going to be brief and to the point. Um, as Julia said, I'm Eitan Wiener. I'm the CEO of Gatita. I used to be a seller. I was also one of the founders of the Prosper Show, so I kind of know the space from being around. Um, what does Gatita do? So I actually used to be a client of Gatita when I was a seller, and they did a very good job for me with what, what we do and what they did for me was getting back reimbursements from Amazon, which you may or may not know can only can be 1% or 2 or 3% of sales, but it adds up. And it's important that based on our points before that you're actually on top of this and that you get back whatever money you can. So very briefly, what is Getita? Is it Getita? Is it Getaida? Um, it doesn't matter. Um, it actually stands for Get Intelligent Data Analytics, which is a little confusing, but um, I invest in the company and I, and I inherited the name. That is what it is. I think people know us now for better or worse, um, but it's pronounced Getita if you want to know. Um, I think it's a great name, by the way. Okay, great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, sometimes you have those names that doesn't mean anything, so it just sounds cool. Um, but we're, we're debating the, the branding. Um, global Leader in FBA Auditing and Reimbursements. Uh, we have a dashboard technology where you actually log into our portal, and you can see the confluence of the services that we do on the back end, all of our case managers and team that file cases on your behalf, and a software that shows what's going on and how and when. 
So you basically connect to our account. We're an Amazon authorized provider, as you hear, see here in the, in, the, in the software partner network and the service partner network. You connect to our account. We have pull all of your data. And we're able to file claims based on discrepancies that we find. And I'll go more into that on the further, further slides. We have, the, we have almost a 90% recovery rate. We're very meticulous in how we do things and methodical. Um, we also do a lot of different events. We partner with great companies like, like Rachel's and, and like Mayan. Um, and if you go to katilika.com slash events, you could see great events from webinars like this to Prosper to other cool events. We like to sponsor and support the community. So check that out if you want to learn more. And again, it's an affordable solution for all sellers in that we actually don't charge anything up front. We just take a percent of success only when we're successful. Um, you can go to the next slide, please. Yes. Okay, so just three tips for today. I'll try to tie everything together. Number one is, as you mentioned, and it's a little tedious, but to stay educated on and up-to-date on changes to FBA fees and policies. Um, Again, very important to know what's going on, how much you're being charged, are you making money, is there profit, et cetera. Number two, we've talked a little about customer returns, which is similar but a little different um, subset of that, something that people don't really pay attention to, especially in Q1 as a lot of the returns come in from the holiday sales. And number three is FBA reimbursements, which is what we do, but it's, it's more about timing. Because as, as I'll teach you, there's a lot of – there's different claims that expire at different times based on the category. So you could sit pretty on some of them, but on others, if you don't get on top of it right away, you lose the money forever. So I just want to reiterate to the people um, when to do that and how to do that. And if we can help, great. Next slide. Okay. Um, FE fees and policies. Okay, let's go next slide. Um, so there's a lot of detail here. I'm going to try to make it high level. Um, you should click on this. You should scan this um, barcode. It'll take you to an update. I think it's from our blog. And all the seller central fees, they create a table uh, every quarter, every year when they make changes. It's just very confusing because the tables don't actually match from year to year. So it's like, hey, this was $2 and now it's $2.50. But A and B is actually different because they have different subsets and different names. So it's super confusing. It's just really important. You have to know what you're selling and what the fees are. Most people who use an FBA calculator to assume what the fees are have an understanding. But think about it. If you're sourcing a product, as you mentioned, Darling, whatever product, and all of a sudden the fees change, and you don't re-put into the calculator. You don't know what your profits are. So who is re who in your company? I've, 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 I'll, I defer to Rachel. I've yet to come across a company that constantly reevaluates products based on fees, based on real-time changes in fees. So you could do it once a year, but really you have to do it multiple times a year because there's multiple changes. For example, Amazon in Q4 made this, this fuel surcharge, which got more press than it should have, but it, it is impactful. So how do you know how much money you're making? If you know, if you assume you're, you're always giving Amazon 15% of commission, that's cool, or that's what it is. But there's so many variable fees, and they add up to, I don't know, 10, 15, 20% of your sale price. So I, I'm going to go into some of the high-level ones, but it's really important that, A, you use the FBA calculator before you source and make a product and also review it on your own and make your own calculator while you sell. But then you could use a company like ours to monitor the fees. We actually do it a little more we, we work more on the discrepancies. That's just when Amazon makes a mistake on the fee, they should have charged X, but they charge Y. But that doesn't help you with knowing what your fees are to begin with. This is a, this is a, this is a problem in the industry. It was for me as a seller, it still is. And these changes don't help. Again, we can clean up the mistakes, but we can't clean up if you misaligned in the beginning. So let's talk about alignment um, and let's talk about fees high level. So 
the fee rate will increase 22 cents on average. Again, in some cases it's much higher, in some cases it's much lower. That's a lot. So if you're selling thousands of units, you know, 22 cents, it's, it's a lot. Um, whether it's because of inflation or market, unclear. But that's just a straight-up average increase. It does add up. Um, I think I look back to when I started selling in 2011. I think the fees grew a few hundred percent. I actually did the math. It's kind of crazy. So it's just assuming to be a cost of business these days. But it's many cases cost prohibitive. So it's very important to understand that. That's just a straight-up increase per unit, which you can see more on the grid if you scan that barcode. Um, this is also interesting if you sell apparel or bulky products. Um, they'll use the greater of unit weight or dimensional weight. So people could just gloss that over and be like, oh, that's cool. But what if you have like a very like fat, heavy blanket or something? And it's not that – sorry, it's not that heavy, but it's very bulky. So all of a sudden, based on Amazon's decision, which you have to check how they ruled – you're, you're charged based on the, the, the bulkiness and not the weight or vice versa. Those are two different things. So you could have a very bulky quilt that's not so heavy, but you get charged seven times more because it's like super, super large. So it wasn't like that in the past. Obviously, you have oversized, which is a separate category. But now there's another distinction that even if you're not oversized, but you have or your apparel, based on how bulky it is, they can switch it up on you. So there's very few people who actually go and say, oh, they switched it. Let's change my fees. Let's change my calculator. No, no one's thinking like that, but you need to. Because you really don't understand your margin. So even if you use Mayan and all these great tools and calculators, that's assuming you know the basis of the fee. So you're like, oh, this is how much I made. But what if I tell you you could you could pack it a certain way or you could shrink it or do something different to change it? You're not going to even think to do that unless you understand the rules. You need some <laughs> the bottom line is you need someone at your company, despite your size, to to monitor these things every day. Every day. Not 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 an exaggeration. Not to that's scare crazy. people. Not not to yeah. scare people. But just make sure you look at your fees and your reports and your sales every day and you don't see anomalies. We help with some of that, which I'll talk about. But if you really want to be on the ball, you need to do that. And it is possible. Um, the number three is off-peak fees. So this is about throughput. Um, you know, whether you have stuff stored at Amazon during a seasonal a seasonal period where it's more expensive or less, there's increases. Um Oversize has a certain increase. Others have other increases. But my point is, aside from the fees that you look at every day, namely your the fees related to the sales and the processing, what about storage? So storage, if, if you think about it as a separate category, it's like, oh, I have all these fees per sale, and then I have storage. It's super dynamic because you could store something for a day or three years, and you could pay a 1,000 times more for storing it for three years because you accidentally stored it too long or you didn't remove it. Or maybe they removed it for you. So it's like just like this outlier that you don't know to understand. Obviously, it's ideal to send to Amazon what's going to sell and turn as quick as possible, but that's that's really challenging, as you mentioned, based on supply chain and others. Okay, we can go to the next slide. But wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, there's a few more. So well, there's a lot more, but again, I'm condensing. So this is interesting. I don't think people know this either. Utilization, so storage utilization. So everyone knows, I think, there's, there used to be this IP, there still is an IPI score, Right, how much of your inventory are you turning, right? So you have to have a certain health score or you could actually lose your FPA privileges, certainly pay a lot more fees based on your score. So they want you to use their space efficiently. They don't want, they don't want to have more stuff sitting that needs to. So there's a new fee here that actually charges you or penalizes you based on your utilization, right? So if you have a certain amount of cubic volume of storage and you only sell X of it or Y of it, based on that, there's fees. It's almost like a penalty, so aside from the pick and pack fees and, and general fees, and aside from the storage fees, there's another fee just 
to make sure that you're on your game. Very hard to calculate that before because you don't know how on your game you're going to be as far as forecasting. And very hard to calculate that after because, again, it's just another variable. Um, and finally, um, this is what I mentioned before, but there's further surcharges for age inventory. So age inventory that's there for over uh, over between 270 and 365 days has, a, has an extra fee than it, than it did. Same theme that they want you to move stuff in um, a short time. And to top it off or to finalize, there's more. They're also increasing removal and disposal fees. So actually removal fees, um, for those who don't know, is when you remove an item from Amazon for returns or unfulfillable back to your warehouse, they charge you a fee per item. It actually used to be, um, I think, like 10 or 20 cents. I think it went up and up, and now it doubled. Maybe it's a dollar a unit now. I'm not sure the amount, but it's a lot. And they also charge you to dispose. So if you don't remove, you're to dispose an item, meaning you tell Amazon to destroy it, which is not so great for the environment. Sometimes they destroy it. Sometimes they give it to some charity. You actually have to pay for that, too. Those both went up, right? So a lot of these private label sellers who have lower-cost items, it's not worth it for them to remove the item and resell it and all that. It's just not worth it. It's only a $20 item. So they remove or dispose it. Guess what? Now that's double the cost. That's part of your understanding of, of your P&L and you know, how much the product costs you. Okay, next. Um, customer returns. So as I mentioned before, you know, people do a lot more sales usually with seasonality in Q4. So all of a sudden you have a lot more returns in Q1. So we just talked about the fact that it costs money to remove items from Amazon and to dispose from Amazon. This is just a chart to show you the impact of returns. It obviously varies by industry, but certainly 158 billion out of 887 billion is returned. I mean, you could just do the math on that. 17.8 percent. It depends on the category. Obviously, you know, smaller items like we mentioned, and like small cases and charges, people are probably not going to return. It's just not worth it. But things with higher price points, they will return. So, aside from just creating a return strategy, um, should I should I remove them? Should I destroy them? Should I resell them? Whole other webinar. This is kind of just showing you the impact of it. So you're going great. You're doing lots of sales. You always have returns. All of a sudden, you notice two to three to five X of returns coming in. Why? Because Amazon has a policy, as you know, as a shopper, that you can return stuff for like whenever you want, you know, three months. So all of a sudden, Q1, you get all the stuff back that people just took their merry old time to return. And it's really, it's really important that you have a strategy. Uh, next slide. This is just a short little... Uh, guide on reconciling returns. So this is something that we do at Katita. It's like a really tedious process. And I have to be frank, like even this process that we do, as opposed to a lot of other claims, is difficult. Meaning loss, disposed, damage, inbound reconciliation. We, we help you do that. We work on that. That's great. This is something that's more specific. Namely, guess what? Sometimes you return an item to Amazon. So let's say Julia buys an iPod case from us and she returns it. She returns it. Or she doesn't return it, but she says she returned it. So she says she returned it, but she didn't return it. All of a sudden, Amazon... It's sneaky that way. <laughs> yeah. Not that she would ever do that, but believe it or not, some people do that uh, as a fraudulent living, and sometimes they just make a mistake and they just never send it back. So you meant to send it back to the UPS store, and you left it in your car, and you just never did. Sometimes, unclear exactly why or how, Amazon will not reconcile. So they, you know, technically, I shouldn't be charged because you never give the unit back, and I don't have it back as a return, but they do. So this is a little way, and you could scan over here, how to do that. You actually have to go into the payment reports, go into returns reports. And if you see in the next few slides, you could just scroll through it. There's a returns report. This is the, this is the, this is a report of all the items. Go, yeah. You go to fulfillment. Next slide. 
and then you go to returns report. Those are all the customer returns that you had. Okay. And then go to the next one. And then you could download that and you could compare that. So again, very tedious, but you can compare that to what you were credited. So if you actually do all this work, which is what we do on a, on a broad scale, um, you could see situations where you got a return or you didn't get a return, but you still have to pay for it or you were never credited. So we call this RNR, which is refund not returned. And again, I have to say that the success rate is quite low because Amazon is very annoying about it as opposed to many other claims. But in the theme of returns, this is something that most sellers could do on their own. Again, very tedious, but you'd be surprised that a lot of times this happens. I'll give you an example. I bought a, um, I bought a water cooler on Amazon for my, for my, for my kids or for my, for my kitchen. And it was damaged, like badly damaged, like dented. So I said like, Hey, what's up? This is damaged. Like, can you send me a new one? And, and I was like, you know what? I don't really want a new one. It's already set up. I don't really care how much it looks, what it looks like. It's just a water cooler. I'm not, I'm not that uh, vain. And um, the, the rep from whatever overseas is like, oh, just just keep it. And I was like, what? So as you know, they have good customer service. I was like, just keep it. But like, it's a $200 thing. I don't want a free credit. But she wanted to give me a $200 credit, which I reluctantly accepted. In that case, which is kind of like refund not returned, why should the seller have to eat $200. What happened? I just said it was a little damaged. So they should have, they, if they were, I think, intelligent, they should have credited me 10 or $20, $30, which I would have accepted. But the rep was so nice to get me off the line. She's like, here, just take a credit for $200. So I told my wife, oh, we got a free, we got a free new water cooler. Um, it, it, it's cute, but think about it. Like, what happens to the seller in that case? And if you count all the billions of transactions on Amazon, how many times that happens? That's a case, I have to say, that even in this methodology of refund not return, it's hard to prove because what would you need? You would have to show a case where you could show that support didn't ask for a photo to get a claim. I'm just explaining to you like the, the never-ending theme of unknowns, and that's kind of what we focus on. Like This is something that's a little more granular and report-based. But the example I just gave, which I'm looking into on a claim level, is very hard to actually secure. Um, so we can go to the, the next slide. Um, this is just the time-based thing. So uh, there's, there's lots of FBA reimbursements. Uh, you go to the next slide, but it's important that you file at a certain time. So inbound shipments, meaning you ship something to FBA, you ship 100 units, they only receive 90. The whole process by which you make a claim, they ask for documentation, we help with that as well. If you'd like, you could also do it on your own. Um, it's interesting, in the EU and UK, it's a six-month look back. But in the US, it's a nine-month. So as long as you open the claim within that time period, you're still eligible. But guess what? If you wait nine months and one day, and you had a $100,000 shipment and you forgot to reconcile or you have a claim, you're not eligible. So again, we can help you do it. You can do it on your own. You could get an assistant. But if you don't do it on time, the money is lost forever. Which also means, on the contrary, uh, uh, um, alternatively, when we when we do audit accounts, we're able to go back that much time. So as you see, for a loss and damage, we can go back to 18 months, refunds, removals, uh, weights and dimensions. Actually, measuring every single item, as I mentioned before, by bulkiness and size, making sure the fees are right, and taking photos. That's only three months. So again. All cool to find this percent of opportunity and recovery, but it's not something that you could take lightly or forget about or just sit on because it will expire forever. So whatever money you're owed after that period, you, you just can't get back because that's Amazon's rule um, for better or worse. So the key here or the point here, um, in addition to all the other points I made, is despite the complexity here or the nuance, timing is, is key. Um, unfortunately, there's too much to do and too little time, but it's really important that you do this on time 
or there won't be anything to do. Okay, next slide. And that's it. You can contact me. You can email me any questions, comments, concerns. Happy to help always. And thank you so much. And before we move to Rachel um, to close out this 2023 session, um, maybe related to fees, maybe not. Um, are there certain, just curious to ask Aton, Rachel, your opinion on this, but are there certain products that you think will perform better on Amazon in 2023? And I think the key here is better because like you said, just because something sells well, you still have to take into account the complexity of that product, the fees. So I'm um, curious to hear your thoughts, what you think 2023 will be like in terms of products on Amazon. Go ahead, Rachel. You know, one of the things I thought was really interesting was the difference in um, the items that had sold well in 2019 versus 2020 between the, you know, real life and then pandemic life. And it seems like those categories that basically dropped to the floor have been steadily rising back. So like luggage, for example, was one of the ones where if you look at the numbers between 2019 and 2020, it makes you feel bad for any um, <laughs> luggage sellers. But those are the kind of things that I expect to go up again as everyone completely gets tired of hearing about, thinking about, or dealing with COVID. And like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just, I'm just gonna go on my trip. So I expect those to go back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, as far as as other ones, um, it, it's I think it's going to be really dependent on how things go with China. They they went from a zero COVID to a COVID whatever policy. So I'm very curious how that's going to work out. Zero COVID to 100 percent COVID. Right, <laughs> it's like wow. <laughs> um, Aton, what are your thoughts? I'm especially taking into account these fees. Like, should sellers I mean, is there a way to tackle those bulky products? Like, is there hope for selling blankets online still? Yeah, I don't, it's a good question, but I don't, I don't, I don't view it like, oh, there's a better product. Like, I think, you know, as, as you guys know, like the whole sourcing methodology and what sells and what, what not and how based on seasonality is important. I don't think there's certain like categories that will sell better. Obviously in general, you want to look at competition. I always try to get people to, to look into more niche categories and, and to bring things online that were never online before, not just to make another power bank, right? That's not going to work. But I don't think this year per se, there's going to be something that's going to be so much easier. I think it's the same game. It's just keeping on top of, of strategy. Um, having said that, I think apparel, aside from the bulky issue, is opportunistic because as great as Amazon can be, the apparel experience is, is still subpar and they're working on it and investing yeah. in it. They're just all the, you know, the variation styles, you know, you could buy stuff on Amazon. It's just like, it's just, you go to the Gap website or whatever, they're just so much better, which is kind of ironic, but I think Amazon will get there. I think they're starting to get there with outdoor and sports. Like They're trying to do a lot more on the attribution side to make apparel easier, but I still think that's more for a vendor and like their own brands. For sellers, I think it will get there. Still uh, kind of primitive, but I think that's a good opportunity you know, as the year goes on. Yeah, and we've been seeing how Amazon has been investing in the Amazon transparency program, trying to prevent, for example, any fraudulent Nike shoes from being sold online. Yeah, I agree with you. Like apparel, questionable as a consumer, I've purchased things and the sizing is just maybe not for U.S. audiences from my personal experience. And I have to sadly return. And But I definitely see it becoming more popular Seems like Nordstrom, Gap, those other companies are kind of keeping their yeah, like, eye out. I bought, um, I bought some uh, ski socks for my son yesterday, so it's like I, I asked, and I, you know, I, I just get confused with the kid sizes. So I asked my wife, "What size is he?" So she tells me, whatever, ten, a two, whatever, whatever the number is. 
So I look on the listing. It's probably from some Chinese seller. And, like, they have a size a size guide. But it's like, you know, if your kid is four years old and then it's, like, up to – like, everything is just off. Nothing matches. The size guide doesn't match. The listing doesn't list the, the you know, the sub-attribute. Then you click on a different color and the size guide changes. Like, it's the Wild West. Obviously, this is a less sophisticated product. But I couldn't buy it because I had no idea if it would fit. So I just, like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go to the well, store. <laughs> that sounds like actually a great segue to Rachel's section. You know, yeah. when we're talking about customer experience, um, how to optimize your content, because in this case, maybe you can you can get ahead of the competition when it comes to optimizing your listing if you are selling apparel, um, getting people to trust the sizing. So yeah, Rachel, um, um, last but not least, take it away. Awesome, thank you so much. And I really like how um, back when we all first started. You know, Aton and I are kind of OGs at this point, uh, but it felt like there there weren't very many kind of specialized agencies, if you will. There were some specialized consultants, but it was really just full service agencies. And now I feel like Amazon's gotten so big that there's, you know, a lot of PPC agencies now. There's a lot of people who can help you with your operations, a lot of people who are going to help you with your graphics and A+. And it just shows to me, at least, just how big and important Amazon has become for brands like it the the industry has grown up around how important amazon is so it's it's really exciting to see and and just how how um how mature the the industry is becoming it's exciting um so for the tips that i have i've got three to go over the first one is about re-optimizing your a plus content and i feel like everyone is pretty confident that they need to optimize for a plus at some point <laughs> that, that's that's a pretty obvious one but what i find is that a lot of times people don't think about their re-optimization schedule so um you know Aton was talking a lot about about schedules and taking a look at things um, in a particular time period i have a similar time period uh for um doing Reoptimization, although I don't think there's quite as harsh of penalties if you go to 366 days instead of 365. Uh, but basically, the first one is you need to optimize annually. Have a plan to go into your A plus pages, take a look at how your pages are performing, um, not just on your reviews. I'll show that in just in just a second, but also in your return reports. So, Aton, you're using return reports for refunds. I use return reports for comments. I'm yeah. always very curious what they're saying. <laughs> I want we, to know I, what customers actually say. your slide. Just a comment. Yeah, we used to do that. We made bundles when we sold. And the way we made bundles was people's experience was that wasn't great. And then we would just create for the solution. So I love that. Yep, exactly. Starting with the customer, I think, is so critical. A lot of people start with themselves. And that's that's understandable when you're thinking about building a product and you, and you put the features in because that's what you care about. Uh, but at the end of the day, unless your primary customer is exactly like you, then you need to think a little bit more about how your customer is going to be engaging with your product and your brand. And you can't expect them to read. I think that's a really critical part too. They don't read and they're not going to, don't expect them to do it. And in fact, I used to be kind of grumpy about this until I realized when I shop on the Amazon app, I don't read anything either. The way that the words are, um, the bullets are way at the bottom, the way that the words are sized compared to the images, it's hard to read. And so I just don't read it either. And so, you know, then I'm like, okay, now I can't even be mad at the customers who don't read. <laughs> so um, the way that I also look at this is based on metrics. So if, um, if you are meeting certain defect rates or below them, then you probably are doing okay, but you could, could always do better. There's always improvement. 
Um, but generally, it should be around 2% in durable consumer goods, 3% consumables, and 10% soft lines. There's obviously variation around that, especially around price points and um, perceived value. Uh, but that's that's a kind of high-level percentage to look at. And then for your conversion rate, same thing, high level. Uh, every product is a little bit different, uh, perceived value in comparison to your competitors. But generally speaking, a commodity food item under 15 should convert between 20 and 50%. If it's not, then you need to take a look at that. And premium products between 50 and $100 should be converting anywhere from 10 to 30% for top keywords. Um, so if they're not, then this is where you need to go and look into, and yes, this next slide. Oh. Oh, <laughs> um, then this is where you need to look into why. Uh, what are what are the customers saying? What are the customers commenting on? And it could simply be uh, misunderstanding. So you have current content uh, content on your page, and maybe you missed a particular point, and so that's the one that's getting your one star reviews. Or maybe the returns are coming in because of a particular confusion point that you didn't clarify. Um, so in this case, there's someone who said, "I could not believe when I received this how tiny the piece of plastic was. It is so light and small. It is hard to keep stable, and the soap slips off." I expected something larger and sturdier. Don't waste your money on this ripoff. <laughs> and what this product is, is basically a little pokey thing that goes into bar soap to help it um, basically dry faster. So one of the nastiest things about bar soap, in my opinion, is the goop that you get on the bottom and then it gets all over your sink and it's just gross to clean. Um, and so that was one of the reasons why I switched to liquid soap years ago is because I just didn't like the goopiness. And this particular product helps to circulate air all the way around the bar. So it dries faster, no goop, um, no goo. And then you can go back to feeling a little bit more <laughs> good on the environment. You're not buying plastic bottles full of liquid soap. Um, so there's various ways that people try to solve the problem of too much plastic bottles. This is one of them. So if you can go to the next slide. So this oh, was the solution. Um, yeah, we changed one of the A-plus widgets to demonstrate how to put it on. And so you can see the size of the, the soap channel. On the left-hand side, you can see it's next to the bar. You can see it's small, <laughs> being really clear. You can see the size compared to the person's thumbs. And then you can see how you're supposed to install it. You're supposed to press it in, which the reviewer probably didn't realize they needed to press it in. We found that a lot of people were just propping it on top and thinking of it like, oh, no. you know, like a, like a stand or something. They weren't thinking that they had to like push it, push the prongs in. So they were a little bit confused there. And then you can see it in the final version where it's sitting on top of the little stand that's been, that's been poked into the bar of soap. And so it, it's, it's something where, you know, the amount of words that are on here, there's, you know, about 10 words, right? Um, and that's typically you can expect people to read no more than two captions of six to eight words each. And that's about it. That's all that you can really expect them to read. And then you need a visual that makes the point. And if you do just the visual without the words, they'll often draw their own conclusions. You don't want customers drawing their own conclusions. You want to draw their conclusions for them. And then you don't want to do too many words because I'm sure that you've seen this before as a customer yourself. If you look at a graphic that's full of words, unless you're really interested, and I see this in like consumer electronics, people do get very interested about the specs in, in consumer electronics and then some, some other kind of technical products. But for most consumer goods, too many words generates an immediate back. Um, they're just not going to look. And so you want to make sure that you've got the right balance of the lifestyle image that shows the issue plus the short, punchy captions um, that will actually get people to say, oh, okay, I get it, and reduce those one-star reviews, reduce the returns. So it's not just about 
increasing the conversion rate, which is a big part of this, right? We want people to look at it, see it, understand what they're doing and then buy. But it's also the end part of this is they don't return it because they understood they're buying. They don't get confused. They don't leave a one-star review. And so it helps to continuously increase performance. Um, and so when I, when I look at um, the A plus page, I see it kind of like a, a salesperson at a show. <laughs> so if, if you're not helping people understand the same way that you would if you were talking to them in person, then you're going to, to potentially miss a sale there. Okay, next. So the summary for A plus, what you want to do is make sure that you have graphics with short captions. So a graphic format, but not too many words. I see people make both mistakes where they just do a lifestyle image or they do like this massive graphic with all the information. Um, and you have to decide, you have to decide which pieces of information are most important because you can either put all of the features and benefits of the product that are important to you and no one reads it, or you can put one or two of the top ones and then everyone will read it. So you, you have to make a choice. Um, and it needs to address the customer concerns and objections. So when I think of A+, I think of it more like a sales page on a website. So the number one thing you're told when you're putting together a sales page or a landing page is what's the number one objection that someone would have to buying the product or buying the service? And that's the first thing you show. A lot of times what people do with A+, is they'll show the feature that they think is most valuable. Um, and it may or may not be, right? No one's interested in your features until you address the reasons why they're already kind of not interested in buying. Um, so lots of lots of keyword content in the A plus page to get Google indexing and Amazon A9 indexing. Um, I do see this a lot where someone has worked with a designer and there'll be beautiful pages. They'll be so lovely, gorgeous, um, but no words. <laughs> so they're missing that op opportunity for keyword optimization. So you kind of need to make sure that you balance both of those. Just because people aren't going to read it doesn't mean that it's not valuable for other purposes. And then yeah, I know they you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Finish up. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm a big fan of the new premium A plus widgets. Um, so a lot of people are using basic. That only gives you five spots. Premium A plus gives you seven. Um, there's a couple of widgets that are much better optimized for mobile than basic A plus. And I'm always a big fan of mobile optimization. So I've been shepherding everyone over to premium A plus. <laughs> Perfect. I was just going to say that, especially in 2023, with the age of TikTok, attention spans are definitely shorter. But yeah, you still want to have that text. Um, just a reminder to audience members, we do have 10 minutes left. So um, if you do have questions, feel free to pop them into the chat and we can take them as we go along. I um, just wanted to give that little quick shout out before we move on to your second tip on building brand awareness. Awesome. And this is something where for me, building brand awareness is a huge benefit of Amazon. I know that kind of flies in the face of a lot of people's assessment of Amazon, that Amazon is just a uh, an online flea market or <laughs> something else where there isn't a lot of brand benefit. But I actually find the opposite. I work with quite a few um, premium brands. And so, you know, it's really important to have brand awareness and brand ownership on Amazon. And, you know, these are brands that aren't trying to be number one in their category. They're not trying to keep you up on price or, or anything like that. They're trying to get people to buy into the brand and then come back and buy again. And so that's a very different approach than just trying to get to the top of, of search results. Um, so next slide. 
To measure your brand awareness, the easiest way to do this is using the search query report, which is now downloadable, thank goodness. Um, although I was kind of whiny because they finally turned on downloads, but you still have to download every ASIN individually. <laughs> you can't oh. just download the whole thing. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, thank you for making it downloadable. I will try to have smiley face here. Um, so the goal is a high search volume for branded keywords and a high brand share for those keywords. So in this screenshot here, we have um, three branded search queries for this brand, and they're the number one results for them, which is great because they have a lot of brand awareness off of Amazon, and they want people to be able to find them quickly on Amazon. Uh, and so the search query volume there tells you how many searches there are for those branded keywords. And then brand share on the right-hand side there, you can see that it's between 65 and 83% of the impressions that show up for those search query terms belong to this brand. And so that is a very strong brand showing where when someone looks for their brand on Amazon, they find a lot of branded stuff. And that's really what you want to do when you have a particular brand that you're trying to, to grow on Amazon is make sure that when people search for you, they can find you. <laughs> it seems basic, but it's actually a little bit complicated to do. Okay, next. Um, so the reason why I think brand awareness is going to be more and more important on Amazon is because Amazon is the number one place to search for products, and it has been for years. Um, and it's only been more so since the pandemic. And so if people are searching for something they saw on TikTok or they saw on Facebook or they saw um, on a TV ad or they saw uh, at a friend's house. They'll often just go straight to Amazon to look for it. And so if you're not there and if you're not indexing for your brand name or for the most common keywords with your brand name, then somebody else could potentially get that sale. Okay, so next slide. This is how you actually achieve brand awareness on Amazon. Uh, so these are kind of my five steps, if you will. Um, the first is explicitly ask customers to follow your brand on the storefront. This is something that you can do. It's a graphic that you can put right below the follow button and you can say, follow us. <laughs> and I highly suggest doing it. Uh, the second thing is posts, run lots of posts. Um, if you do have to choose between quality and quantity, choose quality um, if you have to choose, but try to do two posts a day um, that are decent quality. Um, then live, uh, learn how to use live either as a brand creator or working with influencers. You don't have to do it yourself, but obviously if you do live yourself, then you get more followers for your brand rather than your brand helping to get more followers for an influencer. But if you just are like, no, I'm not going to do that, then coordinate with different influencers who are appropriate for your brand. I also suggest putting rate us on Amazon, um, amazon.com forward slash RYP on your packaging somewhere, anything that you send to Amazon, try to get that additional brand awareness and engagement on Amazon using the packaging. So brand awareness isn't just about, does someone know what my brand is? It's when they land on Amazon, do they see a lot of ratings? Do they see good ratings? Do they see positive feedback from consumers about your product? Um, you may have great products, but you're not driving those ratings um, because unhappy people review, right? Happy people really don't do anything. So by trying to get them to rate, you just have a much more likelihood of getting a happy customer to rate you than a happy customer to review you. And at the end of the day, if you have 800 ratings and 200 reviews, that's a thousand when someone's looking at it in search, even if it's only 200 actual people talking, the score comes from the ratings, the, the, you know, the perceived value comes from the ratings. So even though the raters don't leave any comments, it's still very valuable to get those ratings. 
And then the last piece is just track it. I know Eitan said the same thing, like keep track of things, keep following up on things. Um, track your brand performance weekly and your brand's percentage of the metrics. Make sure that you're actually achieving what you're trying to achieve. I see a lot of folks spend a lot of money on brand defense ads, and there's a place, a time and a place for that. Obviously, mine does that very well. But there are times when you're spending too much. If you see that you're getting solid brand performance, you're getting great results, then don't increase your brand defense spending, right? Then you don't have to waste money on brand defense if you're hitting those numbers. If you're not hitting those numbers, then perhaps you should think about increasing those numbers. Okay, next slide. All right, so keyword optimization is recommended if you're launching a new item, so it hasn't yet been indexed. Um, your current title and bullets are below 50 or 100 characters, respectively. You really need to be using a lot more space than that. Uh, you have no text in your A-plus page? Use text, please. <laughs> and when you run an ad for desired keywords, it doesn't get many or any impressions. So this is something where if you work with mine, you can see in the search results, um, that's just the ad console results, if there's just not very many impressions and you really feel like you should be getting more impressions, you should be getting more eyeballs, it may be because your pages just aren't optimized. If you don't have the keyword on your page, Amazon's system doesn't see it as potentially relevant. It takes a lot more work to get their system to think it's relevant if the keyword isn't on the page. Okay, next. So if you run auto ads and you don't have very many keywords, it can only run an ad for the keywords that are actually on the page when you very first start out. So the auto ads rely on those keywords that are on your listing. And when it runs, your overall clicks and conversions then determine how relevant the AI sees you. So on the right-hand side, you can see the seven-day conversion rate. And one of those is 33%, and a bunch of those are at zero, and then some of them are kind of mid-range. The way that their search works is if you get a click and a certain conversion rate percentage, then Amazon will place your product within a kind of um, a grid, if you will, of more likely or less likely to get us our commission. <laughs> That's all the A9 search is really meant to do, is show you something, show the customer something, that they are most likely to click on and check out with because it serves two purposes, right? The customer's happy, they found something, they bought it, and Amazon gets a commission. Yay, win-win for Amazon, right? So if you're running ads on keywords that have low conversion rate, you could actually be hurting your performance rather than enhancing it. If you just throw money at ads without making sure that your page converts well for those keywords, then you could actually be decreasing your rank <laughs> instead of increasing your rank. I actually had a, a client uh, a while back who was working with a prior agency, and they had increased the ad spend by something like 300%, and the sales had only increased by about 15%. They're like, how is this working? We thought we could just send money and it would go. And it's like, this isn't Google. Like, you know, the performance of the ad actually determines how well it does, not necessarily how much you're willing to spend. Okay, next. So in this case, you need to see Amazon as, uh, you need to get Amazon to see your product as relevant for new keywords. And in some cases, that means waiting until you have reviews. So in this case, this is the store and a good portion of their products don't have reviews yet. And some of them have quite a few reviews. And so in those cases, we're sending the bulk of the ad money to the items that have reviews so that the conversion rate is much higher. We don't want to teach Amazon's AI that this product doesn't convert for these keywords before it gets reviews, because then you're going to basically train it to not care about your product, which is very frustrating. Okay, next. 
So the best way that you can optimize for keywords, you want to try to optimize your page prior to running ads for specific keywords. If you've got a particular ad strategy, make sure those keywords are on your page. I can't tell you how many times you've had that happen where someone's like, oh, this is what I want to rank for. And I went and looked at their page. I'm like, I don't see it anywhere. <laughs> so it's going to be kind of hard for you to rank for that. Um, and then make sure that the top keywords um, are in the title for your product positioning, not just the top keywords for the category, but for your particular product's positioning and the approach that you're trying to take to get your, your desired customer to buy may not be the keywords that are the top in the category. It is totally fine to win on some of these smaller niches. You can get, say, you know, five to seven smaller niche keywords can be just as valuable to you as one bigger one or more valuable. And then just keep in mind that if you are relaunching, um, it can take you six to eight weeks of buying into desired keywords to get the AI to change its mind. Um, so if you're working with a company like mine and you're like, why isn't it working? Um, it may just be working, but you need to wait. <laughs> so that can be really frustrating. If you've launched something improperly and you need to change that, it can take a while to change Amazon's mind. So bottom line, um, keyword optimization can get you in front of those customers using ads, but not for long if your page doesn't convert. So it's all about making sure that that page converts for your target audience. Okay, and now you can reach me at that email and then please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I occasionally post useful things, I think, so <laughs> would love to have. Uh, you definitely do. Yeah, thank you to Aton and Rachel. Um, you know, uh, you two are valuable partners to Mayan. Um, you know, we've worked with both of you. We love your services and your products. And, you know, while Mayan, we focus on optimizing advertising, you know, digging deeper into that, um, get, getting great returns on your advertising, Rachel in turn is able to help you make sure that those conversions happen. And then the great thing about Katita is that you're able to make sure that you're not bothered by all those fees and reimbursements, um, which is quite tedious to do on your own as Aton, you showed us. So, um, you know, I'm really humbled by being here with both of you. You are such, like you said, the OGs of the Amazon space. So thank you to both. And um, after, again, we have, um, I believe the audience members should be able to see QR codes. I don't see them, but they're apparently surrounding us right now. So um, you're able to scan those. And we're also happy to send you more information, including Rachel and um, Aton's contacts after this webinar. So stay tuned. Um, and thank you, Rachel and Aton, and I hope you have a wonderful 2023. Thank, thank you. you so much, Julia. Okay. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Myonomics, where we break down the strategies on how to sell and scale on Amazon. This content was sponsored by Mayan, a PPC and inventory optimization platform for Amazon sellers. Mayan provides a free advertising audit to show you how well your advertising could be performing. Learn more at try.mayan.co slash audit.